Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What do we really know about flying saucers? Do the believers or the debunkers have real evidence? Is there any quality control at all when it comes to information in the UFO field? Ben, you're on. Actually, I'm not on, but now I am. So welcome <laughs> to the 657th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And today we welcome back two legends in the UFO field to take a look at how we can separate fact from fiction. For this show, we'll be accepting questions by email, and that's paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. And before we introduce our guests, we must acknowledge that today is the 15th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks on our country. Uh, we all have our memories and stories of that terrible day. But how much have we really learned? Stanton T. Friedman is a nuclear physicist who worked on a wide variety of advanced classified nuclear systems for major companies. He began the civilian investigation of the Roswell incident, wrote Flying Saucers in Science and Top Secret Magic, M-A-J-I-C, and co-authored Crash at Corona, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, and Science Was Wrong. He has appeared on hundreds of radio and television programs. Stanton lives in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Kathleen Martin is a best-selling author, award-winning UFO researcher and lecturer, and a frequent guest on, on radio shows, including ours. Her expert testimony has been featured on the History, Discovery, National Geographic, and Destination America channels. She is co-author of Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Science Was Wrong, and the Alien Abduction Files. She lives near Orlando, Florida. Uh, together, Kathy and Stan are co-authors of the new book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, just released by New Page Books and the subject of our show this evening. So, Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. Good evening. Good to be with you again. Okay. I should say afternoon, so <laughs> I'm still not used to this new okay. slide. Okay. Good afternoon. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Stan. Uh, you can take turns answering the questions. Uh, ben is going to start us off. Yes, indeed. So, what we're going to start off with is something that's... Kind of simple. Well, not really. So what's the most compelling evidence that at least some UFOs are craft from other planets? And let's start with you, Stan. Oh, boy. Uh, how many hours do we have? Uh, uh, just one, I'm know, afraid. That, that's like asking uh, if you got ten kids, which one is uh, your your best kid? <laughs> uh, my, my focus on evidence, uh, I try to stress the five large-scale scientific studies that I can talk about. And I have asked, uh, I've done this many times, I've given more than 700 lectures, so I have a lot of practice at that. And after I talk about each one, I ask how many people here have read this. And I'm lucky if it's 2% on any of them. So we have my favorite report, as everybody knows, Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14, largest study ever done for the United States Air Force, never noted as being a believer in UFOs. And they looked at 3,201 cases. 21.5% were found to be unexplainable, completely separate from the 9.3% listed as insufficient information. There are hundreds of charts, tables, graphs, maps. I was in data heaven when I found this way back in the 60s. And then I was totally shocked because they didn't distribute the report. They distributed a uh, press release. And the statement that really became my focus was a statement by the Secretary of the Air Force, Donald Quarles, 
And on the basis of this study, we believe that no objects such as those properly described as flying saucers have overflown the United States. Even the unknown 3% could have been explained as conventional phenomena or illusions. Well, frankly, I don't like being lied to. 21 and a half is not three rounded off. They also, the people who did this study, all scientists at Patel Memorial Institute, whose association with the study was classified, incidentally, uh, they did a cross-comparison between unknowns and knowns. The better the quality of the sighting, the more likely to be unexplainable. They looked at uh, how do these two groups of cases, the knowns and the unknowns, compare. Turns out the probability that the unknowns are just misknowns. Is less than 1%. So I think anybody who's going to make a claim about there's nothing to flying saucers had better look at this report. I mean, the question, after all, is not are all UFOs alien spacecraft? The question is are any? My answer is a very loud and clear, definitely so. Is there a government cover-up? Also, very definitely so. It's easy to prove. I can't go you, show you the documents over the phone, but... The NSA uh, released 156 top-secret Umbra UFO documents, except you can only read one sentence per page. So the data goes on. There's loads of it from all over the place. It doesn't take a genius to look at all this stuff and conclude, hey, son of a gun, some of these things are alien spacecraft. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Kathy? What's the most compelling evidence that at least some UFOs are craft from other planets? In addition to the physical evidence that Stanton mentioned and the scientific studies, I think it's important to take a look at the formally classified secret documents in possession of uh, the Air Force and the, uh, Air, the Army Air uh, Corps. There was a study done by the Air Material Command in 1947. Uh, it was offering an opinion concerning flying saucers. Uh, this was not just someone's uh, off-the-cuff opinion. Uh, it was uh, studied by many men in the Air Force with credentials for doing this. Uh, and their conclusion was that these disks are real and not visionary or fictitious, approximating the size of man-made aircraft. They have extreme rates of climb maneuverability, metallic or light-reflecting, circular, flat on the bottom, domed on the top. They wondered at that time if uh, the craft could possibly be secret uh, government projects or even Soviet government projects. Uh, after an analysis, they discovered that they were not. They could not come up with a viable explanation for what these were. Uh, this gave way to projects sign that started in December of 1947, and they collected, collated, and evaluated all sightings that could affect national security. In all, they analyzed 243 cases, and in the end, they favored the ET hypothesis. So uh, there were many studies done early on by the Air Force before the decision was made to cover it all up. <coughs> And uh, even going into Project Blue Book in 1952, uh, 4,400 UFO reports had been received. 
1,593 had been investigated, and an attempt was made to assign them to prosaic categories, such as balloons, aircraft, astronomical bodies, hoaxes, etc. In the end, 26.94% were unknown, meaning that they could not be explained uh, as anything prosaic, could not fit into any of these categories after an analysis by the Air Force. So there is ample evidence that these are real, but that they have uh, been covered up in uh, probably after 1953. There was a little bit of cover-up before that as well, especially in the media. So you you, you touched on this uh, ever so slightly, Kathy, but... Um what I, uh, what I would like to ask next is, do you think skepticism by the mainstream, well, I mean, it's understandable, but do you see a deliberate cover-up uh, campaign and disinformation by the government as well as the media? I know you and Stan already touched upon this, but what do you think? Well, I think that in the beginning, um, with the Robertson panel in 1953, the recommendation was made that there should be a debunking campaign that would reduce the public's interest in flying saucers through television, motion pictures, and popular articles. And it has been carried to the mainstream media. And uh, in our book, we talk about all of this in great detail, the history of how it happened. It's based upon the archival record. It's not just our speculation or our opinion. And uh, we can produce a paper trail of the scientists who were involved in the cover-up and also members of media who were involved in the cover-up. And some of it uh, involved disinformation about UFOs that was given to the media by individuals who were considered to be highly credible but who, uh, in fact, were uh, offering speculation and we're offering disinformation. I, I think that's being very polite. Sometimes they were lying. <laughs> 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 but uh, I think well, we we have to go back to a couple of things. One, uh, within 10 days of when World War II started, there was a director of uh, somebody to keep secrets, uh, to keep good stuff from getting out. Uh, and I think there still is, not not just about UFOs, about anything. Uh, and, and I think that's still going on. That is, there are certain things that we don't weren't supposed to talk about, and the government has uh, kept at that for a very long time. But also, I think, we don't often mention what are the major reasons why any government would want to cover this stuff up. Let's assume for a moment that we're dealing with the intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft from someplace else. We don't know where, why, how, but they're coming here anyway. Why would a government want to cover that up? Well, first, you're afraid they might attack you. And national security is, of course, uh, a major concern for all governments. Uh, and if you can find out about these guys... Uh, and also avoid telling your own enemies what you have found. That's part of national security for everybody. Hmm. Uh, what we know can't hurt us if the other guy doesn't know it, too. Uh, furthermore, 
we have to deal with the question of power on this planet. Almost all Earthlings consider themselves by nationalist uh, labels. You know, Americans, Canadians, Greeks, Peruvians, whatever. Uh, as soon as you start saying, hey, we got visitors from someplace else, so we got us, Earthlings, versus them. Nobody in government wants to give up any of the power that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have noticed that along the way. That it's rather important from a government viewpoint that they keep power. Power is the name of the game. Uh, there also may be uh, fear that there's a uh, collaboration, if you will, between some Earthling groups and some aliens. I mean, in 1947, when bodies were recovered at Roswell and stuff, there were small bodies. Somebody may have thought, holy cow, uh, Chinese are small, these guys are small. Maybe they're working with them, who knows? I mean, there are all kinds of things. After the world's worst war in history that we know about, after all, we killed 50 million people in World War II. That's mm -hmm. not a trivial number. No. Uh, we destroyed 1,700 cities. That's not a trivial number. And, to me as a nuke guy, we also exploded 2,000 nuclear warheads. Uh, only two on people, for which I am for eternally grateful. But still, uh, I think we have to see how we look to others. Uh, a primitive society, major activity, is obviously tribal warfare. Mm -hmm. We're going to spend a trillion dollars on things military this year. These aren't nice people on this planet. I think, too, that it is the job of national security, of the security forces of any nation, to make its population feel comfortable and secure. They, they want us to feel safe. If they were to announce that we, for example, had a UFO crash in 1947, then they have to... Uh, announced also uh, as part of this that they have been lying to the American public for 69 years. Uh, what? How much can they reveal without disrupting the public, uh, without disrupting our sense of security, our feeling of being safe in our homes? Uh, there are too many questions surrounding this issue uh, of being visited and there is a great deal of speculation and not a lot of real knowledge about what their intentions are. Uh, we have people who speculate on one end that they're uh, benevolent overseers of the earth who are here to save us from ourselves. On the other end, we have speculation that they are here to repopulate the earth. Uh, you know, what is the real story? The government really would have to have that real story and would have to feel very uh, sure of uh, the benevolent intentions of any visitors before they could make any kind of announcement. And the question is, can you, can you offer limited disclosure without offering more than limited disclosure? And what will are the implications of all of this i think we're we're treading on very shaky ground uh when it comes to disclosure mm -hmm. you know, we <clears throat> have some questions on that later um in fact fiction and flying saucers your new book you suggest that some scientists are 
actually hired, as it were, to debunk UFOs. Can you talk about that, uh, Stan? Well, uh, two obvious ones that come to mind uh, are uh, Dr. Donald Howard Menzel, professor of astronomy at Harvard University, author of three anti-UFO books, the first of which was actually translated into Russian, uh, in effect saying, ain't nothing of this stuff, guys, don't waste your time. Now, uh, I discovered, it's a long story, it's, some of it's in the book and in other books, but basically Menzel, whom I didn't like while he was alive, I developed a very healthy respect for him when I found, by getting uh, permission to see, I had to talk to get written permission from three different people at Harvard to look at his papers there and discovered to my total shock that he wrote John Kennedy, President Kennedy, whom they knew each other. Uh, Kennedy was on the board of overseers at Harvard. He and Menzel sometimes had lunch together, another Bostonian, if you will. Uh, he wrote Jack uh, after the election of 1960. One area where I may be able to assist you is with regard to the National Security Agency. I've had a longer continuous association with them, 30 years, of anybody in the country. When we are properly cleared to each other, he says to the president, I can tell you more. And that was a total shock. Uh, Menzel, and I read more of his stuff, uh, turned out he was a world-class cryptologist. NSA, they get involved in cryptology, to say the least. Uh, he did classified work for all kinds of groups of people. None of this was known while he was alive. Uh, so uh, he obviously had the high-level clearances. I talked to his secretary. He was very conscious about uh, security and classification and so forth. Uh, he's one example and a surprising one. And I, I get people who say he couldn't have led a double life. He was a debunker. Well, uh, let me give you three names, Burgess, Philby, and McLean. These are three Englishmen who were in British intelligence. Unfortunately, they were also Russian spies for more than 15 years. Mm -hmm. That's leading a double life, boy, I'll tell you. So uh, Menzel is one mind, one name that certainly comes to mind. Uh, and I'm, we're still trying to figure out what the truth is about Edward Condon. I don't know if Con <laughs> if Kathy has decided, but, you know, the big Condon study, the Condon report, government spent $539,000 on this huge study, and there's no question, I say this as a physicist, Ed Condon was a very prominent and significant scientist. Uh, had, had been president of the American Physical Society, president of the American Institute of not, uh, not aeronautics and astronautics, but the American Association for the Advancement of Science, uh, not many people have held both those roles. And yet, uh, his whole approach to the subject was unscientific, irrational, debunking, and one has to say, why? How can... Uh, the, the quote that stands out is something like, it'll be 10,000 years before an alien lands on Earth. Is that close to right, Kathy? You had that... <laughs> Yes, yes. He said before intelligence life elsewhere uh, can be expected to arrive on Earth. Uh, it's probably based upon a mathematical model, but uh, seems pretty no ridiculous. <laughs> right. No facts behind the uh, speculation that he's offering as, uh, you know, evidence that uh, we have not been visited. 
It was very interesting that uh, Condon was particularly interested in uh, the kookiest cases that were presented to him. And I found yeah. some evidence in the files. I, we talk about it in great detail in the book, and you'll find the entire paper trail. But uh, Donald Menzel had met back, way back in 1953 with six uh, military officers at the Pentagon. And, uh, no, it was May of 52. And he uh, made the statement to them that using, doing experiments with liquids of uh, different weights and volumes, he was able to solve the Air Force's problem for them. And uh, the Air Force uh, felt that his few simple experiments really didn't explain anything. And so he became rather upset about all of this and changed the subject, and, and he made the statement, well, most of these reports are hoaxes anyway. And they replied, no, they're not. Only 2%, less than 2%, have uh, proven to be hoaxes. And uh, so Menzel was really obviously not interested from uh, day one in exploring the scientific veracity of any of this, he was interested in covering it up. He wrote uh, two articles, one for Newsweek and one for Look Magazine, uh, debunking UFOs, and he asked for the Air Force's endorsement. They were not willing to endorse his uh, kooky theory, so to speak. And the kooky is my word, but... Uh, Good word. Un- <laughs> unjustified, certainly unscientific theories uh, that he was using to explain all of this away. He then offered uh, to act as a consultant to Project Blue Book, who was going to solve their problem by uh, coming up with ideas so he, they could write off all of the legitimate sightings often made by military pilots, by military officers, by scientists, by credible observers, as being something different than what they appeared to be. He wanted to give simple, uh, scientific, deductive uh, reasoning solutions to all of this. Um, And his proposal was initially rejected. But then we find out, by the mid-1960s, when uh, Major Hector Quintanilla was the director of Project Blue Book, uh, Donald Menzel was an unpaid consultant. And, and Hector Quintanilla even wrote of Menzel, quote, Dr. Menzel has helped with some very ticklish cases. I consider Menzel to be a true scientist, not a publicity-grabbing charlatan. <laughs> well, who did he consider the publicity-grabbing charlatan? It was the true scientists who were... Uh, studying this in an unbiased manner. And there was uh, an attack being made against these scientists to attempt to destroy their credibility, their careers. Um, I think that Menzel had a great influence on Edward Condon. Uh, They were fishing buddies. A lot of people don't know that. They had a close personal relationship. And I think that Menzel helped to... Uh, affect the outcome of the Condon uh, project, uh, probably in the background, uh, and uh, 
because of his relationship with Condon. There's a lot more to the story. It's very, very complex. It's all in our book, Fact, yeah. Fiction, and Flying Fox. Uh, which I'm holding up a copy of. I don't know, Ben, if you can get that closer to the camera. For anyone who happens to have the video feed, a uh, book uh, kindly provided by Kathy last weekend when we were at the uh, Exeter UFO Festival, where Kathy helped uh, produce a terrific show. We had a panel. Uh, it's live. It's available. Uh, the recording is available on uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you have any evidence? We're almost up to our break. Do either of you have any evidence that some of these scientists were actually paid to debunk, cover up, etc.? Well, we don't have paycheck stubs, yeah. I don't think. Okay. Uh, but remember, I worked under security for 14 years. Uh, you certainly wouldn't see any classified information on my paycheck stubs about uh, anything that was classified. Sure. You, you would have no way of knowing what I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I just uh, yesterday saw a comment, Stephen Hawking, uh, suggesting that uh, the, girl, the government's so poor at doing what it does, there's no way they could keep things secret. And that's a popular viewpoint among a small group of, uh, I'll call them ancient academics and fossilized physicists, <laughs> who think that research is, gets done only in academia, and the only place it we're talking about that it appears is in peer-reviewed scientific journals and this is total nonsense when you look at the budgets of the national labs uh los alamos they employ six thousand people uh their budget this year is more than two billion dollars uh and of course there's oak ridge national laboratory there's hanford works there's livermore uh sandia corporation and I, my own life, uh, in 1958, which is a heck of a long time ago, uh, I worked at General Electric Aircraft Nuclear Propulsion Department, Cincinnati. We had 3,500 employees, and the budget that year was a cool billion dollars. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a hundred... Oh, dear. I'm, I'm getting old, I guess. Well, I was in kindergarten, Stan, and... Well, the budget was $100 million, which was a lot of money back then in 1958. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, we're talking, uh, there are loads of, the Lockheed developed the stealth aircraft, $10 billion in secret over a 10-year period. And we have proof that somebody in the government knew that the good stuff was going someplace else. When you see the comments from, General Carol Bolander, an Air Force general, an engineer on the Lunar Excursion Module, he was asked in 1969, because Condon's people had recommended that Project Blue Book be closed, uh, what should we do about Project Blue Book? He had no previous connection with it. This was not an insider. Stan, I'm sorry I have to interrupt you. We have to take our break. Uh, We'll be right back with that thought. Uh, You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Black Stone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guests. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on ON. Okay, welcome back to the show. Sorry about that cough, folks. 
And we want to rejoin our conversation with Stanton Friedman and Kathy Marden, uh, based on their book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, just published by New Page Books. And, uh, Stan, sorry to have interrupted, and, uh, we were, no, that's right. okay, we, we can, we can move on to another question. Uh, now, Stan, there, there has never been any love lost between you and, um, Philip J. Class. And funny, last weekend, Kathy and I were talking about that very subject. Uh, could you say who that was and what he did? Well, he was somebody who was trained as an electrical engineer, but who worked and worked for GE, as a matter of fact, before the war. And then he went on to Washington, D.C., when he went to work for Aviation Week, which became Aviation Week in Space Technology. He was a journalist. He was senior avionics editor. He obviously reached his limitation because he never went beyond that at the magazine. And uh, we date back to the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, Phil said that there was a prosaic explanation for every sighting, and he, uh, you know, all these people like me and a whole bunch of other people, Jim McDonald and others, uh, were all, you know, basically were saying they're full of baloney. Uh, everything can be explained. Just give him half a chance. And uh, I take great pride in showing up my lectures, and I can't do it because I can't put it next to the telephone so you can see it, a copy of a letter a check he wrote to me for a thousand dollars, but that illustrates it says for MJ12 research on it that illustrates the irrationality of his approach to the subject. It, it's crazy. Uh, there is one of the memos connected with the MJ12 study. It's a long involved story, but the kicker is there's one piece of paper, the Cutler Twining memo. It's, it's a brief memo just saying that a briefing that was supposed to take place. Uh, during an already scheduled meeting would take place uh, after it, uh, something like that, and just a change of plans. And but it says NSC MJ12 on it, and the question is: Is this document legitimate? It was found at the National Archives, and Phil challenged it on the basis that it's done in the large pica type, but the NSC used only the small elite type. And here are ten memos to prove it. All done in elite type. He challenged me to find any other memos done in the same size and style type with a whole bunch of criteria necessary to meet his his requirements. And he would pay me $100 each for every such memo, up to a limit of 10 unfortunately. <laughs> uh, now, as it happens, I, the first thing I did was go to my files and find that I had at least 20. I stopped when I got to 20. Uh, documents from the National Security Council from the Eisenhower Library in the time frame of reference done in PICA type. Now, they didn't meet all his criteria. It had to be signed within a certain time frame, et cetera, et cetera. So I sent him, uh, and he accepted two of them. He thought he had me, but I was going to the Eisenhower Library anyway. So when I went there, it's easy to tell the difference between PICA type and elite type. I found 14 no question about it. They met all his criteria. I made copies. I sent him in the copies and an invoice for $1,000. <laughs> and he paid me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and got battered in hell when I published a copy of his check. I've seen that. Yeah. And, stuff. and uh, as I pointed out to him, Phil, you sent me a check. I Xeroxed it. I took the check to the bank. They cashed it. I can do whatever I darn please with the Xerox. But here's the crazy part. He had never, ever been to the Eisenhower Library. Oh, my goodness. 
they had 250,000 pages of National Security Council materials. I used the NSC a great deal in those eight years. And to generalize from 10 to 250,000 makes absolutely no sense at all. And it's typical of the, I love the phrase, the intellectual bankruptcy of the pseudoscience of anti-ufology. So Phil, uh, we debated on television. Uh, He was always doing, what should I say? We, We were going into one room to do a debate on television. And they told us we couldn't bring anything in with us. Okay, as soon as we get inside, Phil pulls a clipping out of his pocket. <laughs> just just typical of him. Uh, he, he was a driven man. He wasn't stupid. And he was a fine typist. He could go over 100 words a minute, which I'm down at 20, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is interesting that Kathy discovered, which I verified, that the American Philosophical Society Library, which has his papers and Condon's papers and some of Menzel's UFO stuff, uh, he discovered, she discovered, that there was no Friedman file in the class papers. We corresponded for more than 20 years. Hmm. Uh, you wonder why. Uh, you know, so it's... He's a thorn in the side of American ufologists. He certainly was. Now, he would be the ideal guy to be working for a government agency. Many listeners may remember the church committee uh, studies at Congressman uh, Church way back in the 70s uh, found, discovered that there were hundreds of journalists who uh, <laughs> were working for the CIA on the side, mm-hmm. sometimes true. with full knowledge of their employers. So... Uh, you know, who knows whether Phil was one. He was certainly well qualified. He traveled a great deal. He was single. Uh, he could listen to see what Russians were saying that we might be interested in and what Americans were saying that they shouldn't be saying. Uh, you know, he, he was aptly suited with the spring of nastiness uh, to be a debunker, to do the government's work. But I've never seen a check for him from anybody, so mm-hmm. I've seen his check to me. That's about it. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, let's uh, ask Kathy to uh, begin with an answer to this next question. Uh, <clears throat> there are vehement calls for, quote-unquote, disclosure for the government to tell everything it knows about this subject, UFOs, alien visitation, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if that were to happen, especially with the picture you paint in the book, how would we ever know that that disclosure were complete, and Kathy, you touched on that already, or even that it was true at all? Kathy? Well, the government, uh, we would expect that the government would, if it is going to make any kind of disclosure, would uh, disclose uh, the truth about uh, something that we have discovered. There has been some disclosure, for example, that uh, uh it, within our galaxy, 95 light years away, uh, is uh, possibly an Earth-like planet. So, you know, we're getting a little bit of limited disclosure. How much disclosure are we going to get? Uh, well, I don't know. And, and maybe the government is gauging the public's response. And maybe they will come forward with a little more information over time. 
to gauge the, the public's response. Is the public able to accept this? Uh, and then the question is, what do we have to think about even if there is limited disclosure of visitation to Earth? Um, we have to think about, uh, well, who is the major power on Earth? Uh, our economy is based upon the military-industrial uh, defense mechanism, um, establishment, and uh, what kind of impact would that have upon our economy if every country in the world decided that it needed to become one and no longer fight uh, among each other because potentially we had uh, an enemy uh, coming from elsewhere. Uh, that is a very distinct possibility. Given the way we approach things, we always have to think about national defense and the possibility that this is an enemy intent upon taking something from this earth or uh, invading this earth, whatever. Okay. Uh, we also have to think about religion. Uh, what will be the point of view of various religious groups? And different religious groups have different points of view. From the Catholic Church, who uh, through uh, uh, Father Corrado Balducci did a study to determine whether or not uh, this was, in fact, extraterrestrials coming here in uh, advanced spacecraft from another planet, or if it was uh, something like demons. He was a demonologist. And at the end of his study, he uh, was able to determine that the, the characteristics uh, that were being reported by highly credible people who had observed the non-humans and the craft at close range uh, led him to believe that these were not demons, that these were actually sentient beings coming here from elsewhere. Uh, so, and then the Catholic Church had the opinion that, well, you know, we'll, we could baptize them. Uh, we could teach them Christianity. We could accept them as our space brothers. Uh, but there are other religions, such as the fundamentalist Christian religions, that believe that all of this is demonic, that anything coming here from elsewhere uh, is, has to be demonic. And they would have a very, very different point of view toward all of this. And I know that many of them have already contacted me. Uh, when I wrote the alien abduction files with Denise Stoner, there was a Christian scholar who wrote a 50-page paper uh, with regard to statements that we had made in the alien abduction files, yeah, I where read it. we interpreted the information one way, and the Christian scholar interpreted it as demonic, and even coming down to the possibility of uh, hybrid experimentation where ETs could be producing hybrid beings, uh, the idea was that these would be demonic beings because they were not fully human. So uh, that could be rather frightening and dangerous uh, considering that a large part of the uh, the population, particularly in the United States uh, and in the southern United States, uh, adheres to this type of belief. Mm -hmm. Food for thought. Stan, do you think that uh, if disclosure occurs, it'll be true? 
Can we I test would have my, I, I would have my serious doubts. I should point out, there is truly a national security aspect of this. We know of a number of crashes of advanced uh, alien spacecraft, if you will, not just Roswell or the Plains of St. Augustine. Uh, there's a wonderful new book out about uh, Aztec New Mexico crash. There was the one down in South America. Now, the reason I mention this is the standard thing when you grab somebody else's fancy equipment is to try to back-engineer it, understand how it works, learn new technology. We mm. did it in World War II. Uh, we would certainly do it now. Now, the question is, would we be sensible in putting out on the table what we have learned from examination of wreckage of alien craft? It, what if the Russians and Chinese don't have it? We should give it to them? I doubt it. That's not how security works. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and there's another part of this story, and that is that uh, if we have learned anything about motivation, maybe by interaction with aliens, what do you guys want? You know, this kind of thing. Uh, are we really in a position to share that? Uh you know, another part of this is there's a lot of good data obtained by instruments on board airplanes chasing UFOs. It's not just radar. There are measuring electromagnetic fields and so forth and so on. Uh, technology. Now, that's much more important than Joe Blow standing out on the street corner saying, hey, I saw this thing zip on by me. The measurements would be of extraordinary importance. Should we put those out on the table? without other people putting out what they have learned? As a guy who worked under security, I say absolutely not. And, mm -hmm. you know, another example. Suppose we have figured out a better way to detect things flying in the atmosphere than radar. You can jam radar. We know that. and We know stealth seems to get around radar. Should we tell anybody that? I don't think so. So I think the people pushing disclosure haven't really thought through the honest and genuine national security aspect. I mean, yeah, I've seen stupid things done in the name of national security. I think there was a, when I was working radiation shielding, we had a security guy who thought we were going to discover some magic paint to put on a, a, an engine around an aircraft, a nuclear aircraft, and so we wouldn't need heavy shielding. Uh, so he tried to classify everything. Uh, but I, what, what I'm saying is that there is more to this than saying, oh, aren't we all entitled to know? My answer would be, no, we're not all entitled to know anything in particular. Mm -hmm. That's not the way the country is structured. And remember, again, the total budget this year on our planet for things military is a trillion dollars. That's a lot of dough. Yeah. Now, you both touched on this, but uh, as far as other governments are concerned, I'm thinking particularly of... Russia, Brazil, and maybe Belgium, uh, which do seem, at least on the surface, to be more open with information yeah. about UFO uh, activity, sightings, chases, things of this kind. How coordinated are the world's governments on this, or are they? I don't know that they are. Uh, certainly in Chile, for example, the, uh, the scientists work with the military. In Brazil, there's a cooperation between the scientists and the military, but uh, who knows where all the good stuff goes? In other words, uh, I'm thinking of the Brazilian crash, Vargina, mm. and there was strong indication that there were Americans involved in uh, grabbing the wreckage and uh, that sort of thing. And Mexico, we too. Pay, 
Yeah, whether we paid for it or not, I don't know. I presume so. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one thing we got in the United States, it's lots of money. <laughs> at least we think we do. Kathy, any if thoughts we're on looking at the, I'm sorry, but if we're looking at the history of government involvement with regard to cooperating with other countries, we can go all the way back into the mid-1940s, and we can see that uh, wherever we've had U.S. military bases, we've been very interested in the UFO sightings and landings that are taking part uh, or taking place in these countries. And we are attempting to anal analyze what is going on and speaking with uh, the foreign governments of whatever country that is, dating back then. I don't have the statistics or the evidence on that uh, right at this moment. We do know that uh, certainly... UFOs are being sighted by military troops in uh, different countries where we are engaging in warfare. Uh, I don't, but uh, none of those documents have been released to the public, so I have no way to gauge that. Okay, well, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to give you both a chance to talk about your websites and the book you have co-authored, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, where people can find out more, where people can get it. Uh, Kathy, why don't you start? Okay. Well, uh, you can purchase an autographed copy from my website at Kathleen-Marden.com. Uh, you can pre-order. It isn't going to be released until September 19, but uh, you can pre-order it at Amazon, and I'm sure that eventually there will be electronic copies as well. Uh, my uh, website, again, is Kathleen with a K-M-A-R-D-E-N. Com. You'll also find uh, many articles and my upcoming speaking engagements on that website. Okay, very good. Stan? Uh, my website is uh, www.stantonfriedman.com, and it lists all my books, including Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucer. Several of the books are by Kathy and myself. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, you can use PayPal, which makes life a lot simpler for me and for buyers as well. And one thing you'll get from us that you won't get from Amazon, signatures. We mm -hmm. autograph our books. Mm -hmm. We both autograph our joint books. So okay, it's good. a lot easier to send book plates around. <laughs> yes, true. Okay, well, we do have a, one, a time maybe for one more question. Ben, did you have anything else? Uh, not that I can think of. Okay, I just wanted to ask uh, a general a sum up of what is the current state of UFO research and where do you see it going in the future, Stan? Uh, in 30 seconds or less, I suppose. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> well, I think we're in a much better position than we used to be on one basis. The world is now accepting the notion that uh, the Kepler satellite has really done a job, and our planet's all over the place out there. Mm. Frank Jake. Drake suggested maybe 8,000 places I could send a signal in the whole galaxy. A better number today would be 8 billion. And uh, plenty of them are close to others. So there seems to be life thriving all over the place out there. Now, it may well be that they have instructions, do not go over to that Earth place. There are a bunch of idiots over there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we, we don't know how connected we are with any of those organizations. I think we're a penal colony. They dumped all the bad boys and girls here, and that's why we're so nasty to each other. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kathy? Yes, well, the the current state of uh, UFO, ufology uh, is distressing to me, 
because uh, we seem to have turned away from, uh, first of all, the good work that the government did for many, many years that is now available to us, and also the mainstream television shows that used to handle this topic sometimes seriously. Uh, there were many talk shows. Uh, Stan Friedman appeared on many of them. My Aunt Betty Hill appeared on some of those shows. People like Dr. James McDonald and Dr. Alan Hynek uh, spoke out and were a highly credible voice for all of this because of their focus upon science and scientific research. Uh, what appears to be happening now is very little attention is given to this by the mainstream media. Uh, you don't find uh, television talk shows where guests are being invited in. You can find some programs on the cable channels, but that is about it. And there is a lot of focus upon uh, speculation, on whistleblowers who may or may not be credible. And uh, so it seems like a free-for-all in many ways to me, and, and I find that this disturbing. I think that we need to turn back toward science. Okay, right. Now, there, there's a lack of data, seems to me, anyway. But okay. Well, Stanton Friedman and Kathy Martin, thank you so very much for a wonderful conversation. Indeed. And I want to thank Stan again. Stan wrote the foreword for our, our forthcoming book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, coming from Schiffer in January. And it's, uh, re really was the crown jewel, I think, on, on a book that, uh, we're, we're, I must say, we're kind of proud of. But thank you both so much. We'll see you very soon. And, uh, thanks again, uh, Kathy, for a great show last week. And, uh, for this week, too, and you, too, Stan. Thanks Thank for you very much. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right, yeah. everyone. Let's begin our rather lengthy announcements here. Uh, on Friday and Saturday, October 7th and 8th, we're back at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Along with ourselves, speakers will include the great Nick Redfern, Mark D'Antonio, Bill Hall, Ronnie LeBlanc, Bill Penning, and Ray Hernandez. And I must uh, give a shout-out, as they say, uh, to the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club in New Hampshire. Last week, uh, they ran a terrific Exeter UFO Festival. It's great. It helped the local children's charities. I don't know how much they raised, but uh, we'll find out soon. And uh, they were really thrilled that we did our, our show live from there last Sunday. And uh, I just can't say how proud I am of, of my son sitting right here for the great job he did and for all the staff at the station, including our great producer, Josh Ducharme, who... Um, as well as Dave Richards. And Dave Richards, Invaluable. Yes. Invaluable. Uh, we pulled it together, and uh, thank heaven it was, uh, you know, something we're going to try again some, sometime very soon, although it can't be... Um, Ben's not too anxious to go through that again. But anyway, on Sunday, October 16th, busy month October, uh, join us at the Roger Williams Park in Providence, uh, Rhode Island, for the Taking Steps for Crohn's and Colitis Charity Walk. Uh, we'll broadcast live from the event at noon with investigator Shane Searway, uh, author William J. Hall, and who knows who else might turn up to join us. And the rest of the team behind the paranormal or just to donate, see the link at behindtheparanormal.com. When you go to the main page, just scroll down a little bit. And you'll see a big picture of us at a previous Crohn's and Colitis walk. And uh, it's two to three miles long. and begins at 10 a.m. Uh, there will be more information uh, here on ON1240 as the date approaches. Uh, and, again, uh, if you donate, uh, well, this is your line. Oh, yeah. So if you donate $15 or more uh, via our team page and walk with us on the 16th, you'll get a free Behind the Paranormal slash ON1240 slash Taking Steps for Crohn's and Colitis t-shirt to mark the occasion. Yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. It's supposed to be, uh, I'm sure it'll be a nice day. 
So on Tuesday, October 18th, just a few days later, uh, I'll be the speaker at the monthly MUFON, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network, a very credible organization, uh, the monthly MUFON event uh, in the Philadelphia area. That'll be at 6.30 p.m. at the Tredefin Public Library, 582 Upper Gulf Road in Wayne, Pennsylvania. And you can find out more about that at MainlineMUFON.com, M-U-F-O-N, MainlineMUFON.com, uh, details there. And then on Friday uh, evening, October 21st, uh, Ben and I will present our program, What's Really Behind the Paranormal, at the Enchanted Cafe in Red Hook, New York. More information on that next week. I believe that's going to be about 6.30, so, but we'll, we'll uh, confirm that as we go. Meanwhile, find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you'll find nearly 700 free recorded shows on both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Our forthcoming book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, uh, Everything You Know is Wrong, is now available for pre-order on the publisher's website, that's SchifferBooks.com. Uh, just search for Behind the Paranormal, or you can use the link on the BehindTheParanormal.com website, which is our website, and it's also for va- available for pre-order at Amazon.com, and the book is slated for release by Schiffer Books in January, and there will be a release party and a signing of some sort, uh, probably here in our listening area, and we will let you know about that. Yeah, we're thinking of some Barnes & Noble or other. We'll, we'll let you know. Yes. Uh, you can find my other books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle and Barnes & Noble Nook. That includes Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, and a couple, and uh, at least one book on Rhode Island history, which may be of no interest to the, some of the people in this audience, but you never know. Uh, also, we are preparing, I am preparing a uh, third edition, of, a third expanded edition of Faces at the Window with three new cases uh, and, and a beefed up uh, stories of, of the other cases that were in the book. Uh, the only uh, problem the critics had with that book when it came out in 1998 was that it was too short. Well, the problem is I'm a professional editor. I, I'm pathologically unable to say things in ten words that I can say in three, so they tend to be short. But this one will be a little longer, and uh, we'll let you know when that's going to be ready. It's only going to be another few weeks before that uh, is available. Uh, also on our websites, uh, you will find direct links to several charities that we have adopted, and that includes usacares.org, uh, helpforhaiti.com, and, uh, .org rather, and canadianveteransadvocacy.org as well, as well as Youth Mentoring Connection in uh, Los Angeles, youthmentoring.org, doing great things out there for uh, at-risk youth in uh, that city on the West Coast, of course. All right. Uh, also, you'll find uh, over 600, and f- almost 700 free recorded shows and podcasts at BehindTheParanormal.com. We do have a lot going on there. We have a lot going on that website, and uh, check it out. It's uh, If you have the time, you can fill up the rest of your days with listening to our, our shows. On that. Just never stop listening. Absolutely. And, uh, okay, there are um, two books of special interest to our local listeners. I'll point out one particularly, UFO Repeaters from Global Communications Publishing, and that's available on Amazon.com, and it has a whole chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, who was a talk show host here on ON for 50 years. And he was also, a lot of people don't realize, a famous UFO aficionado of the 1960s. Again, Amazon.com. Uh, so next Sunday, September 18th, uh, we'll be away on a case in Pennsylvania, so we'll rebroadcast our March 20th show that is Mothman with Robin uh, Bellamy. Robin Bellamy, right. Uh, we leave you this afternoon with some very serious advice from <coughs> Walt Disney, of all people. The secret of making dreams come true can be summarized in four C's. They are curiosity, confidence, courage, and constancy. 
And the greatest of these is confidence. Just look at Mickey Mouse. Yeah, right? I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.